Hey, man, it's me, Kevin Smith. Are you listening to the right podcast? Because you're supposed to be listening to Three Guys in a Flick. Are you listening to that right now? Then you're in the right place. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Turn around. Look at what you see in her face. The, the mirror, mirror of, of your, your dreams. dreams. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, The Never-Ending Story. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from the swamps of sadness, my name is Don. And to my right, we have our comic book guy, John. Heidi ho And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. All right. What do you want? Why are you being so nice? Who, me? Yes, you. Why? What do you want? You're up to something. Why would you think that I'm up to something? Because you're being nice. Define nice. How am I being nice? You're being pleasant and you want something. What do you want? I I don't want anything. I don't want anything. All right. We'll see. Yeah. Tonight we are talking about the never-ending story. The never-ending story comes to us because, well, John wanted to watch the never-ending story. So, uh, John... Why the never-ending story? You know, I was trying to think of a movie for us to review this week, and this one has been kind of circulating in my brain a little bit as kind of a callback to you know our childhood when things weren't so CGI and there were movies out there that you went and saw that kind of blew your mind a little bit. And I kind of felt like this movie was was one of those movies that really kind of, at the time, spoke to me. Because I've mentioned it before, you know, I was bullied as a kid in high school. So I kind of, you know, understood Bastion a little bit. I love the, the practical effects of the puppetry and the costumes with the, you know, the real life stuff going on. And I also really love the meaning behind the movie, which was don't give up hope. And to, to just throw it in there, that catchy tune. I, f- I, fuck, I feel like he just gave us his review. Kind of. Yeah. All right. We'll have to remember that when it comes to review time. But, <laughs> Three fucks. <laughs> but, but I do want you to notice what I am wearing tonight. Oh, I noticed it, good sir. And listeners, if you could see what I'm seeing, you would see that John is wearing the Arwen. The Orin. My bad. The Orin. Which means you can't do me any harm tonight. Well, I mean... Uh, what's his name? Atreyu kind of thought the same thing, but you know, I, we'll we'll see what happens. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Speaking of the Orin, uh, do you know who has the actual prop? Yes, I do. In fact, Steven Spielberg has it in his office. How fucking cool is that? Pretty yeah. damn. That's right. Yeah, he That's actually right. worked on the movie and helped edit it. Yeah, him and Wolfgang Puck. No, sorry, him and Wolfgang Peterson uh, were friends. So. Yeah, he helped get it ready for the American launch. Yeah. Released on July 20th, 1984, The NeverEnding Story was directed by Wolfgang Peterson. Screenplay by Wolfgang Peterson and Herman Weigel. Based on the book, The NeverEnding Story by Michael End. And it stars Noah Hathaway, Barrett Oliver, Tammy Strongark, Patricia Hayes, 
Sidney Bromley, Gerald McRaney, Moses Gunn, Alan Oppenheimer, and a bunch of other Fantasians. How'd this movie do, Don? This movie was made for $60 million and brought in $100 million. And I think that's uh, considered pretty well for an all-German production. Yeah, uh, it was the highest German production for a while, if not still is, right? I, I don't know if it still is, but yeah, it was one of the most expensive, too, to come out of Germany. Yeah. yeah. It, it had only made $21 million in America that year. It came out in a really, really tough uh, box office environment. It, uh, it was in the same summer as Ghostbusters, Gremlins, Karate Kid, Indiana Jones, The Temple of Doom, and Purple Rain. And those five movies were in the top ten grossing for that year. I would argue that might be one of the best summer lists in history. In earlier pods, we have discussed, we've touched on a little bit, that there are some real powerhouse summers in the, in the 80s. Yeah. But this was probably your number one movie in N- that year? Nobody, it wasn't. I'm sorry. Oh, top three. Nobody, it wasn't. I'm top, sorry. Top ten? I don't know. How many movies came out in the summer? Uh, in the summer? I didn't count for the summer. Well, it's this ballpark. 40. Okay. It might be 26. I thought you were going to say top 40. <laughs> it's on the list. Yeah. Well, it, it, it yeah. The silver linings, Professor. Silver linings. I love it. The author of this book, uh, Michael End, I believe is his name, uh, Apparently, he was not very happy with this movie. No, he wasn't. He tried to sue them and get it shut down, but lost. Yeah, originally, I guess he was really happy with the original script, but then he claims they rewrote the script without checking with him, without showing it to him, and then when he saw it start to be filmed and everything, was very unhappy with the way it was going, and he thought that it went too far away from the meaning in the book. I kind of look at it like this. Good news, bad news. Good news is you sold your script. You sold your book. You sold the rights. Good job. Bad news is you don't get any more say in it unless you work it into the contract, which obviously he didn't. So apparently they are trying to remake this movie. And uh, the biggest stumbling block is, I don't know if he's still alive or not, but his estate or his people will not resell the rights. They do not want to go through it all again. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? Not make the movie. Yeah. And that's okay because we have a lot of remakes and a lot of reboots. Mm-hmm. True that. And it's exceptionally rare to have the uh, the second time around be better than the first time around. Yes. Agreed. And part of the fun, like I said in my little, you know, why I like this movie is the practical effects. And I don't know if I'd want to see this movie done with a lot of CGI. and. Oh, yes, you would. You would, you would be the first one in line. Stop it. Oh, I'd still see it. I've, but exactly. I don't say I'd like it. Oh, fuck off. Yes, you would. Stop it. Right now. <laughs> so, John, would you ever go see a remake of The Dark Crystal? Come on. That's an easy yes for you. I did, honestly, when they just came out with the uh, prequel version, I think Disney did, I didn't mind it so much, but they still kept with some of the practical effects. They still used Jim Henson's studio to do a lot of the practical effects. So, it depends on how they did it, you know, whether or not I'd, I'd really want to see it or I'd want to wait till it was streaming and catch it for free. Nope. You would go see it. You think so? <laughs> I know so. 
they're remaking Flash Gordon. Oh. And yeah. I don't care what the trailers look like. I don't care what we hear about it. I will see it in the theater. All right. Well, let me ask you this because I think I know the answer. Are you excited for it? Well, I'm excited who's who's writing and directing it. That kind of answers so, my yes. question. Yes, I am okay. excited for it. All right. I so. don't even know anything about it. Well, yeah, you but do. I'm excited. You know it's Flash Gordon. Yeah. And, and that's all you really need to know in something like this. I will be excited to see it because it's got to be better than the original. And you got Taika. That's I what mean, I'm saying. Come on. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But if it doesn't have Queen in it? I, there will be some sort of reference to that song. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. it how, ca- how, how could he leave that out? Exactly. I will guarantee that not only will they do some reference to Queen, but they will put in the lines, go Flash, go, and fly my Hawkman. They will be in there. You heard it here first, folks. I stake my comic book reputation on it. And this concludes our review of Flash Gordon. All right. Uh, Wolfgang Peterson. Uh, do you guys know him from anything? I have seen several of his movies, not knowing that it was Wolfgang Peterson. It's like, oh, 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 oh. I didn't even know he had other movies out there. What movies have you referenced? Das Boot, Enemy Mine, In the Line of Fire. Do you say Enemy Mine? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I like that movie. Outbreak, Air Force One, Perfect Storm. So you're saying he started with this movie and it was all downhill from there. Well, he had, he did Das Boot before oh, okay. this, and then he, and then he did Enemy Mine after this. And Das Boot is where him and Spielberg became chums. Mm. So, what did you guys think of the cast to the Neverending Story? The kid who played Bastion, uh, I don't know if he's been in anything else. I thought he did an okay job. He wasn't that great. The standout for me was Noah. What did you think of either of those two kids? Um. I thought that Noah Hathaway, who plays Atreyu, I thought he did a good job. I didn't mind Bastion. I think what I minded more than anything was the name Bastion. What kind of asshole names your kid Bastion? I was guessing it was short for Sebastian. Then why not just say Sebastian? I don't know. On. I'm going to call you On. Okay. Get it? N. I'm here all night, folks. Uh, what do you think, Professor? What do you think of these two little shits? <laughs> and there goes the nice. the uh, the the two The two kids they are passable, but they uh, they don't stand out in any way. Right. Do you know where we know Noah from? Battlestar Galactica. Well, yeah. sort of. It's after Battlestar Galactica, but he's only on for one season. He was uh, boxy. What do you mean after Battlestar Galactica? Battlestar Galactica happened after Neverending Story. Oh, I no, thought there, I read there's, it there's before. No way. So, wait. So, so Battlestar Galactica. Oh, maybe it is eighty. But yeah, he was only on for one season. Yeah, and he's small, mm-hmm. right? And in Neverending Story, he's tall. Old. Yeah, it, it might even be like seventy nine. Yeah. So maybe. Yeah. Did, did you hear what, or did you read what uh, this movie did to Noah? Oh, beat the shit out of him. And I was thinking about that last night when I was watching it. Yeah. There was one scene, I guess, with the horse riding on the horse that the horse stepped on his back and broke his back. There was another scene where he's getting pulled down into the water, but the machine malfunctioned and almost drowned him. They pulled him out unconscious. And then in the scene where he fights the Gmork uh, and it launches out at him, one of the metal claws on it almost blinded him permanently. 
Uh, he just got the shit kicked out of him in this movie. I know. That's what I said. Yeah. And then I uh, to just you know kind of icing on the cake at the end of the filming, they gave him the horse. Yeah, but unfortunately, he couldn't ship it from Germany, so he gave it to his riding double. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Beagle Mortensen got his horse from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Do you know what Noah does nowadays? Uh, he's a tattoo artist. Yeah, he runs a tattoo shop with his wife. Yeah. The childlike empress, the uh, young woman that played that, what do you think of her? For the 10 seconds she's in it, she did good. Uh, she's very reactive, and I thought when she uh, spikes the camera and starts talking to Bastion, I thought that was a good bit too. Mm-hmm. Any comments? Passable. Apparently, the story behind her was she always wanted to be a dancer, and she was taking dance lessons and dance classes, doing performances, things like that, and she got invited to this audition. She didn't even know it was for the movie. Yeah. She she was really excited when she found out later on it was for the movie, but yeah, she had no clue. She went on to do a few other things, little things here and there, but people wanted to put her into more adult-oriented type roles. It was very creepy, so she left Hollywood and just became a dancer. Well, good for her. Good for her. The other person who, to me, is a standout in this casting is Alan Oppenheimer, which, as we know, is the voice of Falcor, Rockbiter, and as well as the Gamork. But do you know what? I like to refer to him as the voice of Gen X. And do you know why? No, why? No, why? Are you familiar with He-Man? He is the voice of Skeletor, as well as a few other voices. He is the voice of Vanity Smurf. He is also the voice of Alfred Pennyworth in one of the Batman movies. And he's done a ton of video game voices. So you've probably played some of the video games that he has been the voice in. Oh, I'm sure I have. So just that's why I say I kind of feel like he is the voice of Gen X. Yeah, him and Peter Cullen and um, Frank Welker. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. (sighs) Is it trivia time? Why, of course. Yes, it is trivia time, Don. In our continuing pursuit to crown a master of movie trivia, I have prepared a series of questions related to the movie we are reviewing this episode. Please wait until I finish each question before answering. What does Bastion draw in his math book? A unicorn. Unicorns. How many boys are chasing Bastion? Three. Three. Very good. What color is the garbage can that Bastion gets dumped in? Orange. Red. I'll go with orange or red because it was hard to tell, but it's supposed to be red. What type of test does Bastion skip in order to read the book? Math. Very good. Does that count even though I didn't let you finish the question? No, the point went to to Ken on that one. You're you're welcome because had I not said anything, I would have got the point. What do the plains people like to hunt? Purple buffalo. The purple buffalo, correct. The wise Morla the Ancient has a distinct allergy. What is she allergic to? Little boys. That's what I thought, too. Youth is the answer. How many times does Morla sneeze? Three. 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 Very good. What is the name given to the Empress by Bastion? Moonchild. Moonchild. Very good. Are you sure it's not Martha? <laughs> Get it, Batman? Martha, yep. why'd you say that name? How many books does Bastion tell Mr. Corander that he has at home? 186. 
Very good, Ken. Somebody watched the movie. I was going to say like 270. What's the name of the castle that the childlike empress lives in? Ivory Tower. Very good. And the final question. Where does Artax die? In the the swamps of of sadness. sadness. Yeah. Speaking of that. um, (laughs) You're tied. It's funny. (laughs) Yeah, it it definitely is a tie. But uh, when you speak to a lot of Gen Xers and you talk about childhood trauma and was there any movie out there that uh, you can think of that brought, like, that was the most traumatic to you? A lot of people will quote that horse scene in this movie. Did that affect either of you? Uh, in 1984, when I watched it, yes, very much so. Yeah, Last night so. when I watched it, not so much. Ken? No. Obviously, yes for you? Oh, yeah. Tears down the face. You, Every time. When you watched it the other night? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Huh. Ten-year-old Bastion is a shy outcast who lives with his widowed father. One day, on his way to school, Bastion is chased by bullies, but escapes by hiding in a bookstore, annoying the bookseller, Mr. Coriander. Bastion's interest in books leads him to ask about the one Coriander is reading, but the bookseller advises against reading it, saying that it is not a safe story like regular books. With his curiosity piqued, Bastion secretly takes the book titled The Never-Ending Story, leaving a note promising to return it and hides in the school's attic to read. The book describes the fantasy world of Fantasia, slowly being devoured by a malevolent force called the Nothing. The childlike empress, who rules Fantasia, has fallen ill, and the young warrior Atreyu is tasked to discover a cure. Believing that once the Empress is well, the nothing will no longer be a threat. Atreyu is given a medallion called the Orin that can guide and protect him in his quest. As Atreyu sets out, the nothing summons a vicious and highly intelligent wolf-like creature named Gamork and sends him to kill Atreyu. So the movie starts, and I got to admit, I forgot how this movie started, and it surprised me that we got the Kaja Gugu song. No, I remember the whole uh, starting with the sky and everything. And I always liked it. It just goes right into the song. Yeah. And all those swirling clouds for a couple of minutes. Clouds. More clouds. More swirling clouds. Yeah. Even more swirling clouds. Wait. Uh, Do you know how they did that? How'd they do it? Uh, It's oil in water. Oh. And the camera's upside down. Or the picture is or however they did it. And then they slowed it down, recolored it. And now we have clouds. We are introduced to Bastion, and he is waking up from a dream. We find out that his mother has passed away. He's living with his dad. They're having breakfast. You know, this whole... Um, Very cold and, I think, without hope kind of relationship. I don't know if I would go so far as to say without hope. Um, I always kind of believe that there's always hope, but a very cold situation for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because the dad doesn't know how to communicate with his son, you know, Mm -hmm. and in the eighties at the time, that was very much the norm. I think the dad also represents what we eventually come to understand what the nothing 
the nothingness is doing to Fantasia. Yeah. yeah. He's the poster child of the nothingness. Yeah. He wants Bastion to wake up, get his head out of the clouds. In essence, stop being a kid. I also got kind of the impression, if I don't know if you noticed this in the scene, but the colors were kind of muted down a bit so that I think it more popped when we went into the world of Fantasia. Oh, yeah. I was also struck by, he's he's not all that old, but Dad, you know, he just uh, chast- gets done chastising him. Don't be late to school, and he takes off. So there he is sitting at the breakfast table, and this kid is going to get himself put together and off to school on time. Yeah, well, he wasn't late yesterday. Did you notice what the dad had for breakfast? Yeah, that was that was weird. An egg in orange juice. That was weird. And I, I like how Bastion's just making himself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Do you see that block of butter? Talk about fucking going back in time. So Bastion is on his way to school, and naturally he has to get uh, confronted by his bullies. Uh, what you guys think of this whole 80s bully scene? I thought that it was uh, kind of laughable because I don't know that they were so they were such uh, flat bully characters. I, I I didn't buy what they were selling at all. Yeah, and it was crazy. No, not crazy, but it cracked me up how this is a crowded city street area with all these pedestrians wandering around talking to each other, walking back and forth. But these bullies are tormenting this kid, and everybody just completely ignores the whole thing. Nobody intervenes in any way. Not even a little bit. Uh, I like how they chase him down the alley, and then I don't know if you noticed this, and I don't know why it stood out to me last night, but when they throw him into the dumpster, he virtually climbs in. He kind of (laughs) does. And I get it because they got to do the shot and they got to get it, but... Yeah, I well, just thought it was kind of funny. I just love when he climbs out. It just has like sawdust on him or something. Yeah, it's like packing material. Yeah. You know, really cleanish. You know, you're thinking it's going to be like rotten food. Or and, spaghetti or something coming yeah. down his head, right? Yeah. And then the acting when he gets out of the alley and says, not again. I love this kid, how he talks to himself. Yeah. Throughout this entire fucking movie. But he's his only friend. So he gets out of the dumpster and the bullies find him and said, hey, no one said you could get out of the dumpster. Classic bully line. And he takes off down the street and he runs into the bookshop. What would you guys think of this whole bookstore bit? It was passable. I, you know, it was, I thought for me it was kind of, it was a little stereotypical, but I also liked the fact, I love the, the uh, interaction between him and Mr. Coriander. Well, I got the impression that, first of all, when he first came in, uh, he really did not like kids and he didn't want, want Bastion in there. But then he started to see something in Bastion of, this is the next person who needs to own this book. This is the person. And so I need to intrigue him enough to get him to really want to read this book. Sure. And what I liked what he said was, the, the books you read are safe. You read Treasure Island. You read... Um, Robin, uh, Last of the Mohicans, Wizard of Oz, right? 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Right, and then he asks him, have you ever been Captain Nemo, or have you ever been this character? And he's like, yeah, when I read the book. And he's and Coriander's kind of like, not like this you haven't. No, not and that really, real. And, that, and that really sparks his interest. And so naturally, he steals the book. But he leaves a, I will bring it back, I promise. So yeah. is it really stealing if you left a note? No, it's more like borrowing. Yeah. And you can tell by Coriander's reaction, that's exactly what he wanted. 
Well, if you actually read the book, The Neverending Story, uh, they go into a little bit more detail about how Coriander really did want him to read the book. And at the end of the story, they compare notes and they explain more of why it had to be Bastion who took the book and what Bastion needs to do next with the book. Huh. Which is eventually, just like Coriander, Bastion is going to have to pass on the book to somebody else. Huh. I would have never known that. Me neither. Because Coriander, he's on the screen for what, maybe two minutes? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. It's, it's real quick. And and I get it. You know, they're they're trying to get us into Fantasia. And I just didn't think that the approach of getting us into Fantasia was carried off with any finesse. What kind of threw me for a loop for a little bit was as he's running to school, he has this thing in his jacket. Does he think that no one's going to see it? Who knows what this kid's thinking, right? He goes to school and he's late for his math class or his math quiz. And so he says, fuck it, I'm just going to skip. And he goes and finds the addict, but he knows where the key is. So that, do you think that was his first time in the attic, or do you think he's been there before? I think he probably has some kind of deal, worked with a janitor or somebody that he can go and hide away in this room. Right, but do you think that was his first time in the room? No, because he seemed to know where everything was. He knew where those candles were. He knew where matches were. I thought he'd been up there before. Yeah, I huh. assumed it was his little hideaway. Well, when he walked up there, he looked amazed. Mm. So I took it as maybe this was his first time. Not that it matters, but, you know. Well, you bring up a good point about how uh, it didn't feel like, did you say something like we didn't get enough of Fantasia or not a good really introduction into Fantasia? One of the things that I found interesting was this movie is only half the book. It Where it ends is the halfway point in the book. The book goes on with a whole bunch of more information that actually really dwells more into the story behind the book, the story behind Fantasia, the story behind the childlike empress, much more. And it it really builds on that. So I felt like if we do ever get the re you know, remake of this, that's supposed to be more loyal to the book. We're going to get more story. And correct me if I'm wrong. You have, or have not read the book yet. I have read some of it, but I have not read all of it. I'm actually hoping soon to read all of it. Oh, okay. I do know, and I, I will throw this out there, for anybody who has seen the sequel to Never Ending Story, the second movie is actually based off of the second half of the book. Oh, well, there you go. So um, It's very loosely based, but it is kind of the storyline of Bastion in Fantasia. Well, that is a movie... I will not be watching anytime soon. Can I get an amen? Amen. Unless it gets put in the helmet. I will only accept it in the helmet if it comes from someone other than any one of us and our families. Okay, so listeners, if anybody's listening out there, please put Never Ending Story 2 into the helmet. So we are given the intro, once we get into Fantasia, we are given the intro to Teeny Weeny, The Night Hob, and Rockbiter. What do you think of these guys? I thought they were fine. I thought they were uh, mythical creatures or fantasy creatures. And, you know, 1984, the practical effects, they look pretty good. You have Deep Roy, who is in fucking everything. And I liked uh, the Night Bat. What's his name? The Night Hob. The Night Hob. I like the Night Hob and his bat that he flew around with. The stupid bat. Yeah. 
in the rock better. I thought uh, I thought they were three really good characters. Yeah, I I really like the the difference of them. I originally and I was wrong on this. I originally thought Jim Henson played a role in the puppetry and the costumes and the characters in this movie. He doesn't actually uh, his his company doesn't actually play a role until the third sequel. Yeah, it's all a German company. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought they did an okay job. I think back then I found them a little bit scary at times, just especially the rock biter being so huge. Uh, but I thought they were fun. It, again, I kind of felt bad for Deep Roy getting his voice dubbed a bit. Yeah, well, they had to make it for an American yeah. audience. So we're introduced to these three characters, and the rock biter is on his way or left where he was at because the nothing was coming and swallowing everything up. And the snail rider, yeah. yeah, snail rider, and the hobnob, and they, they were all going to the ivory tower to see if the empress, the childlike empress, can save Fantasia. And so they decide to travel together. And we get—is this a montage scene? Do we get traveling here? Because I feel like this movie is ninety percent traveling. Uh, there is a little bit, but there's also we get to see a little bit of the nothingness in action. It's reviewed. It it is revealed to us, the audience, what the nothingness is doing as it's like shredding, tearing up stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so we are at the ivory tower, and the the dude in white is explaining to all the Fantasians uh, that the emperor's is sick, Definitely. and her fate is tied to the nothingness, and there's nothing they can do. Except for one thing. Well, first of all, did you catch the cameos in that crowd of critters that were all around waiting for the Empress? No, I had to watch a video that told me what the cameos were. And it's it's in that one shot. Mickey Mouse, C-3PO, E.T., Chewbacca. Who else? I didn't see any of that. Yoda. Yoda, unless you watch the video, you'd never know because it's so quick. And... Um, uh, Gumby and supposedly the Ewoks. Yeah, yeah. And really you can kind of see them. I went back and I watched it a couple times, but mostly just see the silhouettes of them. And the silhouettes are, especially C-3PO and Yoda are pretty obvious. It's supposed to be them. Well, that's all they are. They're, they're just silhouettes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one I saw was Mickey Mouse because of the big ears. Mm-hmm. And I went, Oh, there, there's that scene. But, uh, yeah, Wolfgang Peterson, good friends with George Lucas too. So, there you have that. And so we're told that the only way to save the Empress is to get a warrior from, where's he from? The Great Plains. The Great Plains. You get a warrior from the Great Plains, uh, and he will go find a cure. Apparently in the book, Atreyu was a supposed to be a green warrior. From the Great Plains. They were supposed to be painted green, but it just did not work out for the movie. They couldn't get them painted right. Yeah, which is good. I thought it was kind of an interesting thing of, I don't know if you caught this, but it was kind of hinted that Bastion liked stories about Native Americans. And so all of a sudden, it's like the never-ending stories picking up on that, and that's why Atreyu was in the story. Oh, maybe. That would imply that the story changes per reader. Yeah, and that's supposedly it. the The story picks up on the reader's imagination. Oh, and it's supposed to foster their imagination. So Atreyu comes to the council or to the ivory tower, and they're like, 
where the fuck, what the fuck are you doing, little boy? You're right. not Atreyu. You're just a kid. And I like what Atreyu says. He's like, well, okay, fuck off. I'll go hunt some buffalo then. That's exactly how I imagine you would respond. Well, I'm out of here. <laughs> Big old flipping them off and walking out the door. That's right. But as it turns out, Atreyu is the only one who can find the cure, has to go alone, and they gave it, and they give him the old Bryron. To, and he has to leave his weapons behind. Yep. 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 And uh, he sets off on his journey. And, you know, no pressure, but if you fail, the Empress will surely die and our whole world will be utterly destroyed. No pressure. Huh. Yeah. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. That's what I say. And they don't even give him like an idea of where to go first. They just say, go find the cure. Right. And this leads us to one of our traveling montages. And that's where he gets the Orin as well. Right. Right. And so he rides and rides. It's a montage of horseback riding. And he rides. Hey, guess what he does after this, Ken? He rides. And at the same time, we come to meet Gamork. Yeah, it, it cuts to the dark. It's raining. And then we see those eyes of the Gamork. The green eyes. I like this practical. I liked uh, what the Gamork looked like. Mm -hmm. I remember that freaking me out a little bit as a kid. We find out that a week has passed. He's been traveling for a week looking. And I guess what this kind of does is builds the, shows us the audience, the bomb between, between Atreyu and Artex maybe, because they eat and they're feeding. Oh, and we should mention that as Bastion is narrating this, we keep cutting back to him reading it. That's right. This is yep. This was a scene that I've always remembered ever since I was a little kid. When Atreyu and Artex are eating, uh, Bastion is like, that's a great idea, because he was always talking to himself, which, mm -hmm. you know, I've made me fucking laugh. So he gets out his peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but what makes me laugh is when he takes a bite and he says, no. We still have a long journey to go. And he puts his sandwich down and saves it for later. <laughs> but yes, they're both eating at the same time. Yeah. And then it's another writing montage. Wait, another one? This movie needs more montages. There are a lot of things that this movie needs, my friend. And a montage is not one of them. We get a real quick cut of the Gamork at... One of the uh, uh, at one of the resting points that Atreyu was at, and so the Gamork is on the trail of Atreyu. Atreyu's quest directs him to the giant turtle-like advisor, Morla the Ancient One, in the Swamps of Sadness. Though the Oren protects Atreyu, his beloved horse Artex is lost to the swamp and he continues alone. Morla won't help Atreyu because of his allergies and apathy. Instead, directs Atreyu to the Southern Oracle, 10,000 miles distant before going back to eternal sleep. Gamork closes in as Atreyu succumbs to exhaustion trying to escape the swamps, 
but is narrowly saved by the luck dragon Falcor. Falcor takes him to the home of two gnomes who live near the gates of the Southern Oracle. Atreyu crosses the first gate, but is perplexed when the second gate, a mirror that shows the viewer's true self, reveals a boy which Bastion recognizes as himself. Atreyu eventually meets the Southern Oracle, who tells him that the only way to save the Empress is to find a human child who lives beyond the boundaries of Fantasia to give her a new name. Atreyu and Falcor flee as the nothing consumes the Southern Oracle. In flight, Atreyu is knocked from Falcor's back under the sea of possibilities by the nothing, losing the Orin in the process. He wakes on the shore of some abandoned ruins where he finds several murals depicting his adventure, including one of Gamork. Gamork then reveals himself and explains that Fantasia represents humanity's imagination and is thus without boundaries, while the nothing is a manifestation of the lost of hopes and dreams. Atreyu battles and kills Gamork as the nothing begins to consume the ruins. So after what felt to be like a long montage, Atreyu shows up in the Swamps of Sadness. There was a lot of swamp walk in there. He's walking along because he's looking for Morla, which he th- he just knows it as a big shell home. He mm. doesn't necessarily know it's a turtle. Right. And along the way, Artex gets sad. Yeah, he starts to succumb to the Swamp of Sadness. Artex dies. He drowns. Pretty traumatic for people. I thought Noah actually did an okay job acting here. He really got into the whole, you know, trying to get his horse out of the mud. In 1984, when I watched it, it broke my heart. And it's always stayed with me. And I'm one of those people that you mentioned earlier. A traumatic scene from my childhood? Never-ending story is right up there. Going back and watching it now, I know it's coming, and yeah, it's sad. It doesn't hit me nearly as hard as uh, it did when I was younger. What I wanted to know, and I think I know the answer, and it's kind of a lame answer, but why doesn't Atreyu sink? That's exactly what I was thinking. A lot of people on the internet ask the same question, and it has been responded to. There's one reason why he does not sink, and can you guess the reason? If it's the Orin, I'm going to fucking get up and walk out of this fucking room right now. So let's move on to the next part. Uh, remember what the Orin is supposed to do. I, I get that. It's supposed to protect him from harm. So the story is, is that somehow the Orin is protecting him, even though he's got tears coming down his face. I know, it's, it's a no, long I call, stretch. I, I call it bullshit. Yeah, it, it, my makers of Never Ending Story. Guess what? Bullshit. A lot of people will call that out as a goof in the movie, as a as a broken plot line, plot hole, plot hole. Whatever. I I call bullshit. So uh, he trudges his way, being very sad in the swamps of sadness. Doesn't even sink a little bit, uh, and he finds Marla. I love how he climbs up the giant shell thing. And then it starts moving and he just starts following it off. Did it make you at all think of uh, Stephen King and his whole universe? Did it make me think of Stephen King? Yeah, probably. What I was thinking was that this poor kid keeps getting the shit kicked out of him. I don't know how long it took to film this, but constantly being wet, 
muddy, uh, cold, uh, just the stuff he had to go through. No wonder he really didn't want to have much to do with acting afterwards. <laughs> no shit, huh? Yeah, I heard he froze his ass off. We do have a moment right here when we have Bastion and he yells and it seems to be heard in the story. And so now we see that there is a bridge that is beginning to form between Fantasia and the real world. Yeah, I, I, I kind of laughed at that part. But you're right. It does start to bridge the gap. And Bastion even says, that's impossible. They couldn't have heard me. What would you guys think of this whole uh, Big Turtle bit? I thought, what a shitty character that he really couldn't care less and his complete apathy. Yeah. He's like, I, I'm ready for the nothing. Yeah, he was kind of a dick, right? Yeah. Couldn't care less about well, helping anybody. It's supposed to be a she, but doesn't make any difference. Do you <laughs> like the sneezing? Kept sneezing him back into the mud. Oh yeah, it that reminded me of Jurassic Park. That yeah. was it was comical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although back then, when he first said, or she first said, you know, I'm allergic to youth. It was like a ha ha ho ho hum. Uh, nowadays, at my age, when someone says I'm allergic to youth, I kind of understand. <laughs> is that why you and i don't get along so well i don't know i heard i heard something on uh i think it was on the tiktok the other day that somebody asked a question of as you get older what is something that you decide you hate more and more what's your answer the answer was people you hate people more and more as you're getting older. Yeah, I'm going to be that guy who has a rocking chair on my front porch and yells at the kids to get off the lawn. I'm already the guy who, when the neighbor kids knock a ball into my yard, I pick up the ball, I hold it over the fence, and I say, see this ball? See this ball? It's my ball now. Why are you such a dick? I don't know. I'm just getting cranky in my old age. Yeah, but there's got to be a reason. Why? I think you're rubbing off on me a little bit. I would not deprive the neighborhood kids of the ball. I, I would know. throw the I would throw the ball back at them. I think you would pop it and then throw it back at them. Why? Why why would I want to destroy their game? Why would I want to destroy their fun? I would probably aim it at one of the little fuckers heads, but I would give it back to them. You were that guy in dodgeball who always aimed at the weakest person, didn't you? No. Just no. nail him right in the head? No. Uh, a lot of the times, I was the one protecting the weakness. Oh, okay. Dick. So there you go. I totally just made that up. I just figured that, you know, they were having a good game of throw, and they wanted to, you know, have the ball <laughs> back, so why not give it back to them? No. No, maybe I'm going to have a game of throw now with myself. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all, Bastion. We are experiencing a moment where... Bastion is startled back into reality because the school bell rings and school is done and now the school is going dark. And clearly he has ditched the entire day and he is completely consumed by this book now. And he has, he has every intention of finishing this up because if he's spent his whole day in the attic, then he's not going to stop until he's done. And I kept thinking, what is his dad thinking when he doesn't show up at home? Unless he's kind of a latchkey kid and his dad doesn't show up until after five or six. Well, even then, Bastion probably doesn't get home until the next morning or the next day because he doesn't go home because he makes a wish and he's on Falcor, right? So, yeah, you're right. What is dad fucking thinking? And you're right. When he's at the end, when he's on Falcor, isn't it like daytime around noon? Or- That's what I just said. Yeah. 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 Once we go back into Fantasia. Atreyu is walking in the mud, and we have the Gamork closing in. And then suddenly, here comes the hope. 
And it is Falcor, the Lug Dragon. Because Morla said, you got to go to the Southern Oracles. And he said, how far is that? And she said, 10,000 miles. <laughs> and then uh, Bastion or, or Treyu's like, oh, man. <laughs> Did you hear uh, how big Falcor actually was? He was pretty fucking big. 43 feet long with 6,000 plastic scales. I fucking hated those scales when I was younger, and I hate those fucking scales now. Why does he have to have scales? Because he's a fucking dragon? Okay, they look like boils. They look like pimples that I wanted to fucking pop. It was gross then. It was gross last night. The only thing that saves me is his big floppy ears. I always thought he just looked like a giant puppy. Exactly. It's a face. He's very much of a face. It's this dragon dog thing. And so the montage goes on. Yes. After having several days of unconsciousness, we find that Atreyu, he's, he's, he's cleaned up. Uh, his wounds have been tended to. And, and he's, now he's uh, alert and awake again. And it turns out that Falcor took him most of the way. Yeah, almost. He's just 100 miles short of the 10,000 miles. Yeah. He only took him 9,891 miles. Yeah. And in the meantime, he is introduced to the two gnomes. Uh, what did you guys think of this bit? It almost gave me a Princess Bride vibe yeah. of the Miracle Max and his wife. Didn't almost give me that vibe. 100% gave me that vibe. Yeah. And I think that might be your fault. Do you know why? Because I made you watch Princess Bride? Not too long ago. Yeah, so it's already in my head. I like the fact that it was kind of a, I don't know if it was a statement on society, but you know, one was all based on science. The other one was all based on miracle cures and magic and that kind of stuff. Right. So I thought it was kind of an interesting coupling of the two ideas. Oh, sure. It was the yin, yin and the yang, mm-hmm. right? opposites. And we come to find out that these two naked sphinx guard. With big, huge breasts. I didn't even notice that. What were you guys watching? Oh, you are so full of shit. These two naked strippers, I mean, uh, sphinxes. Oracles. Oracles. Uh, did you know that that's what the author called them, the movie versions? Naked sphinxes? Uh, strippers. Strippers? Yeah, really? Michael N. called them strippers. Oh, that's funny. That's why he was so pissed. Still lost the lawsuit. So they stop anyone from entering if they don't think well of themselves? Is that, that's the gist of it, right? if they don't believe in themselves. Right, okay. Did you get Indiana Jones vibes? Yeah, a little bit. A little I bit. did think about it. When they first said, it was kind of funny, when they first said, you know, there'll be multiple tests. Yeah, very much Indiana Jones vibes. We get to see the, uh, the, the statues in action. Uh, yeah, the dude in the armor yep. gets fried. And even what? the gnome dude says, you know, expensive armor is not going to help you. It's all on the inside. Well, and I it's how you think about yourself. I always thought back then, and even today, when Atreyu gets up to the armor and looks inside the armor, and we see this burnt crisp of a person in there. That was pretty brutal for kind of a kid's fantasy movie. Besides the horse drowning. Too. Okay, I was going to say, bud. They've already hit us over the head. There's not much more they can do. I will give up! Don't quit! So he makes it through, and he moves on, and now his the second test is he has to face his true self. And I was thinking to myself, oh, I would be so fucked if I had to do that test. <laughs> 
I think your true self would just be yourself. Uh, well, who knows? But it turns out it's Bastion. And we had to see this coming. Mm-hmm. I, although I did, I was thinking at the time with the Sphinxes, why doesn't Falcor just fly over him? Or when he saw the mirror, how come he just doesn't walk around it? See, I was thinking the same thing. Why do you got to go through the middle of that? Just walk around it. Yeah, just go over it. Smarter, uh, not harder. I thought the same thing, but then I thought, well, maybe he has to go through the tests and pass the test before the oracle at the end will speak to him. So it might have said, well, you fucking cheated. You're not, I'm not talking to you. And this freaks Bastion out so bad of the reflection that he throws the book across the room. And lightning strikes and the thunder hits and the window flies open. How many times do those windows fly open? I don't know, but I kept thinking, and I didn't think it back then, but I, maybe it's, again, my older self, is he throws the book and I'm thinking, you don't own that fucking book. That's that other guy's book and you're, just, <laughs> you're beating the shit out of it. It's, yeah, it's not mint quality anymore. I, I never thought that once. I was thinking, you're fucking in an addict. There's no power. You're... Why not just pack up and go home and finish the book in your bed? I, I don't know. And it cracked me up when he said, this is going too far. And those were the bits that made me laugh throughout this film. But yeah, he should go home now. But does he? No. Instead, he breaks out the candles. Yeah. Because, you know, naturally that's what he has to do. Well, I kept thinking if you looked at the little candle display, it looked like there was some, like a lab beaker and some flask connected to it too. Where were those candles coming from? Well, you guys said that he'd been up there a gazillion times. So you tell me where the candles yeah, are coming from. Where did the kid get the matches? Up his butt. Whoa. Whoa. Listen to this guy. I was thinking in that briefcase slash backpack that kid was lugging around. Didn't that look like a fucking suitcase? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the the sculptures or the sphinxes. The trail reaches the blue sphinxes the sphincter and the, <laughs> the naked sphincters and they tell him naked strippers yeah it could be the same thing and they tell him the way to cure the empress is to give her a new name and atreyu's like what the fuck are you talking about? Well, I'll like- give her any fucking name she wants right fucking now are you kidding me? I came all this way Lost my fucking horse to give this bitch a new name? It's only a human child that can do this. Good news, bad news. Good news is the fix is really easy. The bad news is it's got to be a human child. And you can only find a human child past the boundaries of Fantasia. So what do we do? We get on the back of the luck dragon and fly to the boundaries of Fantasia. It's a montage where they fly. And fly. And fly. And fly. And fly. And fly. Until... They come, is it the nothing that yes. uh, they're flying against or yes. sideways or and, through and, or whatever? And, and so the nothing has caught up to them. And knocks a tray you off the back of Falcor. Yep. One thing that the director has said about this movie is when you see the clouds and the dark rumbling and all that, that is not the nothing. That is the power of the nothing. That is the presence of the nothing. The nothing is invisible. We don't see the nothing. Well, it certainly uh, was revealed to the us in the movie that way. Yeah. Not. Atreyu, he falls and he lands on a beach. And Atreyu and Falcor, they can't find each other. Atreyu! And at this point, Atreyu has lost the Orin. Yep. Which means if he comes across 
The Grimok, he doesn't have it to protect him. It doesn't matter. He is the greatest warrior ever. Of the Plains people. Ever. He was the one picked to save the fucking world. He is Bruce Willis's character from Armageddon. So Atreyu finds Rockbiter, and they lament over the impending approach of the nothing. And the Rockbiter's like, you know what? I lost all my friends. The nothing took them all. I'm just going to sit here and wait for it to come and get me. That was another scene, I think. I don't know if it really hit me the first time I watched it, because I don't know if I really fully comprehended. But this time through, where he's talking about, you know, he's got these strong hands, but they weren't strong enough to hold on to his friends. That was another scene that kind of touched me a bit. Yeah, I bet you those strong hands did kind of touch you a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it was heartfelt. And it was a tender moment, and it was a uh, oh woe is me, the world is lost. This is this is it, right? The here comes the end of the world. Among the Varuns, Atreyu finds his story. Yeah, all those weird murals, which didn't appear to be never ending. No, right? so he finds the he finds the pictures, and he comes across one that's Gamora. No, Gamork, right? And Mindy. And he turns to his right, and there is Gamora. Gamork. What did you guys think of this whole duel? I liked their conversation, their explanation of, like, you know, who he works for and what he is, that he didn't even realize that that was a trade. He's been hunting him all this time, I don't know if by scent or whatever, but yet he doesn't recognize Atreyu at this point. That was curious. I liked that part. I thought that was a nice little twist, even last night when I watched it. And... He, he's just talking shit. He goes, you have the honor of being my last victim. Uh, I was looking for this little fucker. And I couldn't find him. And Atreyu's like, he finds his little uh, rock knife. And he's like, fuck you, dude. I'm the baddest of the planes. I'm fucking Atreyu. Let's get it on. Yeah, that was kind of badass, though. The way he, he was did. because he knew he kind of accepted that the nothing was coming. Yeah. And goes, well, fuck, if we're going to do this, let's fucking do it. Yeah, let's rumble. Why not? What do you got to lose? Exactly. Two seconds later, Gamora charges him, gets a knife to the belly. The funny thing is, and it bothered me back then, it bothers me now, but when Gamora actually pops out of the cave for that brief instant, he looks like just this little tiny dog with this huge giant head. And then he lands on top of him and he's a bigger thing. Kind of like a buffalo. I know, it was just so weird looking when he popped out of it. I thought, well, that's not very intimidating. Well, those fucking teeth were... Yeah. So Gamork is dead, and we think that all hope is lost. Well, the other thing, too, with Gamork is he explained why the nothing has power because people in the real world are losing their hope and they're losing their dreams and they're just giving in to the nothing of real life. And he tells, uh, I keep wanting to say Sebastian, and he tells Atreyu that Fantasia has no boundaries. So good luck on trying to find a human kid, you fucking dork. So And it was kind of nice to finally have some dialogue to get us, the viewing audience, up to speed on what the hell this whole nothingness is about. Falcor manages to retrieve the Oren and rescue Atreyu. The two find themselves in a void with only small fragments of Fantasia remaining, fearing that they have failed until they spot the Empress's ivory tower among the fragments. 
Inside, Atreyu apologizes for failing the Empress, but she assures him that he has succeeded in bringing to her a human child who has been following his quest, Bastion. She further explains that just as Bastion is following Atreyu's story, others are following Bastion's, making this part of the never-ending story. As the nothing continues to consume the tower, the Empress explains that Bastion must call out her new name to save Fantasia. Disbelieving he has been incorporated with the story, he denies these events actually happened. He gives in after she pleads directly to him to call out her new name, running to the window of the attic to call out Moonchild. Moonchild! Are we sure it's not Martha? No, it's Moonchild. Bastion awakens with the Empress, who presents him with a grain of sand, the sole remnant of Fantasia. The Empress tells Bastion that he has the power to bring Fantasia back with his imagination. Bastion recreates Fantasia and flies on Falcor's back to see the land and its inhabitants restored, including Atreyu and Artex. When Falcor asks what his next wish would be, Bastion brings Falcor to the real world to chase down the school bullies. The film narrates that Bastion had many more wishes and adventures, but that was another story. Roll credits. Never-ending story. Ooh, how can you not? It's like, Flash! Oh, See, it's a knee-jerk reaction. Uh, before we get into the NNN, at the end, when it says Bastion had many more stories and many more adventures, but that is another story, can you guys think of any other films that end with that phrase? But that was another story. But that is another tale. Which was? Conan. Nailed it, motherfucker. There's one more I was thinking of. Do you know what it is? I know what you're talking about, but I can't think of it. Jay and Silent Bob strike back. You're right. When they're walking away with the uh, chimp. All right, so Falcor retrieves this little fucker and his R-O-N, Orden. 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 Fuck. And they're flying uh, to, they have this idea that maybe, just maybe, the ivory tower is still standing. Well, they're flying the Millennium Falcon through the asteroid field. They're looking for the ivory tower. And I actually really like this bit. I thought it was visually cool. And even in 84, I really liked it. The blue screen work here, I think, was better only because of the space, mm -hmm. because of the darkness of space. But the contrast of the colors and then the big white ivory tower, I thought was a really cool looking shot. And then it's basically, they land, we get uh, Atreyu talking to the childlike empress. Now, I don't know, again, this is another thing you probably didn't get the impression from the movie versus the book, but in the book it's revealed that this childlike empress is called childlike for a reason. She's actually as old as the first story that has ever been told. So she's an ancient being. But an interesting, I love how when they're kind of talking a little bit and she mentions that, you know, you, you, you basically, your adventures had to happen because you needed to basically get Bastion invested in your story. Yeah, and Atreyu's like, oh, I'm sorry, I failed, I failed. And he kind of did, but... He kind of didn't because Bastion knows and he's, he's having, he, well, he thinks he knows, and, but he doesn't want to believe it. He doesn't want to believe that he has been incorporated into this story. Did you get at this point that we have now been incorporated into the story? Yeah. 
when she basically says, just like some, you know, like he's been following your adventures, somebody has been following his. We are those people who have been following his yeah. adventures. And when she spikes the camera and she starts talking to Bastion, she's also looking at us, the audience, mm-hmm. trying to bring us in as well. And, you know, Bastion fights it and fights it and everything starts to break down. And I think this is where this little actress earns her chops. Right. She, her, Bastion, why won't you say my name? <laughs> Which is so funny to think about as an adult. Say my name. What, what are you referring to, comic book guy? I don't know. I don't want to go there. I can't. I have to keep my feet on the ground. He's got to, you know, he can't be a daydreamer anymore. He's he's parroting his dad. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. But he gives in, right? And says, fuck it. And he runs up, opens the window, and he goes, you want a name? I'll give you a motherfucking name. Martha. <laughs> Moonchild. Oh, whatever. So where, where does Atreyu go when Bastion shows up with the childlike empress? I assume that nothing has eaten him up, too. No, he goes back to... Oh, wait. Bastion comes, and they have their little conversation, right? And she gives him the grain of sand. Yeah, yeah I, I assume that Bastion... Because all that's left of Fantasia is that one little grain of sand. You notice it's black all around them. So Atreyu, Falco, all of them are gone now. Gone. Well, and the childlike empress. No, she's the only thing that's left. And the little spark of... And the grain of sand. Right. And the only reason why she is still there... Which I want to know. Is because Bastion still has a little spark of imagination left and still believes in her. There you go. And... He saved Fantasia. By making his wishes, uh, which is sparking his imagination, every time he makes a wish, it rebuilds Fantasia more and more. I think he kind of blows a missed opportunity here. What, what? He, he, he gets his wish, right? So what does he wish for? A ride on Falcor. I would have wished for my mom back. Why not? That's a good idea. That would have been a little bit of a dark turn. Why dark? Why couldn't it have been positive? In all the horror movies, the mom comes back as a zombie. But this is a never-ending story. It could have been... Pet Cemetery 2 or 3. Exactly. Well, yeah, it could have gone that way, but it doesn't necessarily have to. Do you want to know how it really goes? No, not not even a little bit do I want to know how it goes. Well, I'm going to let you know anyway. Okay, go ahead. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, the ending of this movie with him doing the wishes and all that, uh, that is the halfway point in the book. What it's revealed is for every wish that he makes, he has unlimited wishes, but for every wish that he makes, he loses a memory. And what happens is, is he starts making lots and lots of wishes to the point where he is actually living in Fantasia and rebuilding the whole kingdom and everything. And he becomes the king of Fantasia and actually starts abusing his power, becomes kind of an evil king to the point where he is putting Atreyu and every one of his friends in danger because he's creating all these villains to fight against them to make all these stories in his imagination. So he ends up almost becoming the villain of the whole story. He becomes the big bad until he realizes at the end he needs to undo all of what he's done. Well, that's a fun story. As it kind of ends, it kind of turns into a little bit of a downer, but again, the whole idea is that he's He's keeping Fantasia going with his imagination. Now, I thought this was an interesting point 
when the script writers, the screenwriters wrote this movie and you know, and they redid it and everything, they never wrote an ending to the movie. It was the director who had to come up with the end of the movie and the whole bringing Falcor into the real world was his idea. That, you know, that was his ending to this movie. Yeah, so let's go for a lighter ending where we have somebody that wishes to terrorize his tormentors. Mm-hmm. What's well, good for the goose? Good for the gander. So, uh, yeah, he rides Falcor into the real world. I, I didn't notice as the bullies were running, the people on the sidelines, they were kind of cowering too. They were so, screaming, so I thought, oh my God, this turned into like a Godzilla type thing. A little bit, a little bit. He was abusing his fucking power. What is that giant flying dog doing coming at us? Rough, rough. Yeah, and that was a never-ending story. All right, so I'm really curious. You know, th- this is a, a little kid. He, he doesn't look to be all that old, but I found it fascinating that he has read so many of these books. You know, he, he said he read Tarzan, Treasure Island, Last of the Mohicans, Wizard of Oz, The Lord of the Rings. Speaking of Lord of the Rings. Oh, fuck. And now it's time for John's moment. It's typically at this point in the podcast where I compare whatever movie we are currently reviewing to the greatest movie series ever made, Lord of the Rings, which I am going to go ahead and do today. Bastion would be our Frodo in this movie. He is the unlikely adventurer unwittingly put on a journey to save Fantasia. I would say Falcor is his Samwise. In Lord of the Rings, it was Sam who often carried Frodo, both metaphorically and physically, just like Falcor carried Atreyu, but also helped inspire Bastion and in the end carried him as well. Aragorn, that would be Atreyu. He leads the adventure. He is the warrior willing to die to save those he loves. Gandalf... I chose Carl Corinder, the bookseller. Carl intentionally puts Bastion on the path to saving Fantasia based on his own experiences and knowledge of the book. So that would make our fellowship Bastion, Falcor, Atreyu, and Carl. Sauron the White, I chose Grimork for that. He is the servant of the power behind the nothing. He does its biddings for reasons of his own. And his own words, I am the servant of the power behind the nothing. Sauron is the power behind the nothing. That's the big bad destroying Fantasia. But if you want to go deeper, the power behind the nothing is really humankind. They are the catalyst causing all this destruction. So what is the precious? What is the one ring? In Never Ending Story, the best analogy or comparison to the One Ring would be hope. Or really, the loss of hope. It's all those things that makes folks lose hope, lose dreams, and lose their imagination that builds the nothing and gives it power. As Gamork states, the reason the nothing is winning is because people have begun to lose their hopes and forget their dreams. And it's the emptiness that's left. It's like a despair destroying the world. He goes on to state that people without hope are easy to control. The world, including Bastion, 
are losing their hope. And that in turn, it's destroying the world of imagination. Because without hope, what is there to dream about? The whole point of the adventure is to inspire Bastion into using his imagination to become part of the story by giving the childlike empress a name. Naming her is a catalyst to the recovery of dealing with the loss of his own mother, which has crushed him. So there you have it, my comparison of the never-ending story and the Lord of the Rings. Bring on the grades. So I thought that you had a pretty good representation for our main characters of Frodo, Gandalf, Aragorn, Sam. But I, I think that uh, what, uh, what, I, I, what really brings it home is what you uh, give it for the one ring, the loss of hope. So I'm giving this a solid B plus. B plus, huh? Uh, I thought that your comparisons were pretty good. What happened to Ork? How come no one's Artex? Uh, I kept thinking that Artex would be Aragorn's horse. What was the name of Aragorn's horse? Prego. Fuck, I'm good. Um, that's kind of what I thought, too. Not bad. Kind of, um, you know, fantasy, both fantasy stories, a lot of parallels there. I agree with the professor. I did like the ring being the loss of hope because there's nothing worse than a loss of hope. And uh, there was nothing worse than the ring. So I, too, am going to give you a B-. Well, thank you. And that was John's... ...moment. All right, what do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this flick? I'm ready to rate this flick. John, you ready to rate this flick? You don't have to drown my horse. I'm ready to finish this quest. Uh, Professor, how do we do our ratings? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that we think is cinematic gold. Somebody says, hey, you want to watch the never-ending story? Fuck yeah, I do. A one-fuck movie is a movie where you watch it, it's one and done. You've seen it, and you're probably never going to watch it again. And what's a zero? A zero-fuck movie is a movie where you get done watching it, and you're thinking, oh, for shit's sake, what the hell? Why would you make me watch this movie? I want one hour and 35 minutes of my life back. Or in other words, we just don't give a fuck. All right there, Atreyu. It's your fucking movie. You're up. So Hold it. Come on. What? You know. Dude, I got it wrong last week. and I was just about to say, since you were so full of fail last week, would you like to like to redeem yourself? And figure out what my score is going to be. Take a guess. Or do you want to take the week off and lick your wounds? No, because... Do you have hope? There is always hope. Three fucks. That's your final answer. Final answer. Okay. Even though he's got all this shit here? Three fucks. I'm holding him to that. The never-ending story is a bit of a mixed bag. On one hand, it's brimming with wild creativity and fantastical characters and locations and delivers on a sense of magic. Plus, it's hard not to love the epic journey of our young protagonist Atreyu and his loyal companion, the Luck Dragon Falcor. On the other hand, the film's age definitely shows. The special effects, while great for the time, 
can't compete with high-definition CGI that we tend to be spoiled with today. Some scenes were meant to be awe-inspiring, now kind of come off as cheesy and a bit of an antique. Plus, the pacing felt off. At times, you feel like you're on a roller coaster. At other times, you feel like you're stuck in a kiddie carousel with just more traveling and more journey and more horse riding and more flying. It just goes on and on. As for the plot, it's a standard good versus evil narrative with a dash of the power of belief. The film's message, never losing hope, and the importance of imagination is timeless, but the execution could have been a bit better fleshed out. The characters, though, are the real highlight. Atreyu is relatable, and it's easy to root for. And Falcor, well, he's just downright fun. And I love the fact that he's voiced by Alan Oppenheimer, of, like I said before, the voice of Gen Xers. Even with its flaws, the never-ending story is still a fun nostalgia trip. If you're looking for a movie to share with your kids, this could be a good pick. Just don't expect it to hold up to contemporary standards of a fantasy epic. For me, it's a solid three out of five fucks. All right, well, there you go. Three fucks from the comic book guy. What you got there, bud? Me or you? I'll go. All right, cool. The never-ending story was a movie that I saw last on VHS. It had been a really long fucking time since I'd seen this movie. And it did not stand out to me in any way in my memory as being anything significant or special or uh, noteworthy in any way. I thought that the, uh, the, 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 the dog creature that I always think of, which makes me think of the song, which immediately now... As soon as I heard that we were going to be watching this and then I hear the song, where do I go every time? Stranger Things season three, when we have the spider monster chasing the station wagon and we're listening to the song being sung by the kids. That's where I always go now whenever uh, whenever uh, it comes up. And so that's what I've been thinking about the whole time with this. And I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing because that doesn't represent the movie very well. So the characters I thought were passable. The Actors did not stand out in any way to me. I, I thought that the story had a, a lot of montages, which I felt like did not necessarily convey storytelling. Instead, it was just showing the passage of time, if you will. And that's not wrong or bad. And watching the movie is certainly, you know, it's not terrible, but nothing stood out to me. And the uh, the special effects of the time, you know, I think that, you know, it does make it, it, it does make itself dated, but you know, also there, there is, you know, some redeemable things about this because, you know, the, the nothingness having it being represented in a time when, you know, there is no superhero, there is no super monster. Instead, this nothingness, you know, is, is very uncharacteristic of uh, antagonist in the movie in that way. Bastion, he's a skeptical kid. And this skeptical kid is somebody that is, you know, trying to find his way in this broken world. But we have, I feel like, a little bit of an undercurrent in the story. It's a little Peter Pan-ish, right? You know, you want to believe in the child. You want to believe in, in the youth and the young and, and, have, and have that, you know, uh, win out in the end. It also has a little bit of an 
Alice in Wonderland vibe to it. I also think because, you know, you, you got little man, he's racing on a snail and, and you have this big dragon that looks like a dog. And then we have Rockbiter, and he's an entirely unique character. And, and he looks very interesting unto himself. And so I, I do appreciate aspects of that. And, you know, having this little boy, he's hiding away from the world, and he's completely consumed by this book. I, I think that, you know, that, that, is, that is very much a, a feeling of youth, of just completely immersing yourself in something. I appreciate that aspect of the story that he that you know he is completely abandoned anything to do with anything that's going to take him away from this book. He's not worried about his dad. He's not worried about the hell that he's putting his dad through. He's not worried about school. Nobody at school, you know, has any idea that he's there. He's completely forgotten about and he's and he's absolutely absorbed into the book and I can appreciate that because this is the active imagination of a little boy that we are being told he believes. And with that, you know, there are some redeeming characteristics of it, but I think that the whole movie comes across as pedestrian and I'm giving it two and a half solid fucks. Two and a half fucks from the professor. How about you go next? Well, I guess so. One. One fuck? Yeah. Is that what you're guessing that I'm going to give it? No, 1.5. 1.5? Okay. Okay. Uh, Professor, you got any guesses of what do you think I'm going to give it? Two. Two. Two fucks. Two fucks from Professor and 1.5 from the comic book guy. All right, here we go. Do you know what you want? Do you you already know what it is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Back in 1984, when I first saw this movie, it blew me away. The practical effects, the storytelling, the story was very basic. I could follow along with it. The characters I felt were likable. And then something happened. I grew up. And going back and watching it last night... Still a good story, still takes me back to when I was a kid and watching it and I felt those things again. So a lot of it is nostalgia. It comes in at an hour and 34 minutes, but I feel like there were way too many montages. I feel like Atreyu really doesn't do anything but lose his horse. There are some things that just doesn't make any sense. But the flip side to that coin is visually, I think it does hold up. Outside of the blue screen flying bits, and there are a lot of those, but it does hold up. It holds up with the likes of The Wizard of Oz. It holds up with the likes of The Princess Bride. Those movies, those practical effect movies in the 80s, I think this one is very good. The rock biter looked great. The snail and the little dude and the bat and this, that, and the other. I thought they all looked great. The problem was the story is just so basic, I guess. And it doesn't really take me anywhere. And I don't know. For a long time, I would have probably given the never-ending story easily up in the force. But now, today... I'm giving the never-ending story three solid fucks. Okay. Higher than what we were thinking. Yeah. 
So with three solid fucks from me and the comic book guy and two and a half fucks from the professor, that gives the never-ending story an average of 2.8 fucks, which puts it in the 24th spot, tied with The Last Dragon, Tommy Boy, Solo, A Star Wars Story. It is slightly better than The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, Scrooge, Atonement, and Waterworld. And slightly worse than The Untouchables, The Wolf of Wall Street, The Running Man, and Flash Gordon. <laughs> All right, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. If you would like to know which movie we are going to be reviewing next, please check out our website. Speaking of which, John, where can they find us? They can find us at threeguysinaflick.com where we go ahead and we post all of our show notes. All of our episodes are available there as well as blog articles. And you can go there at the very top of the site and, and basically click on the option to submit a movie you would like us to review next. We're also available at every place that hosts podcasts and all of social media. All right. I just want to thank Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for listening. Keep on listening. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Jill. And I want to thank anyone else who has requested a movie and who listens to us. If you keep listening, we'll keep recording. For Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm on. And I'm in. Thanks for listening. So if his mom's name is Moonshine, is his dad's name son adult? Singing or are we speaking? We're going to sing this motherfucker. Okay. And it's going to be glorious. That's good too. All right. Make believe I'm everywhere. Hidden in the lines. Written on the pages. Is the answer to a never ending story. Where were you? No. <laughs> uh, speaking of the Arwen, Arwen, what is it? Oren. Fuck. He rides some more. Hey, hey, speaking of journeys. Why Why would you go into that now? Oh, oh, maybe it's not the right time. <laughs> Blue as wad. Such a premature wad blower. Can we do that one more time? That ending? Why? Just go with me. Where am I going? Because he wants to say something different. Yeah, I want to say something different. What do you want to say? Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, what do you want to say? You'll, you'll find out. <laughs> Bastion, little bastard. So do you have a porn name picked out? <sighs> kind of. What about you? Do you got one? The never-ending orgy. Ooh. I think Mike the winner. Drop. <laughs> That was fantastic. What was yours? Uh, I had two. Of course he did. The never rear-ending yeah. or the never-ending glory hole. Wow, you really went all out for that one, didn't you? That's better than mine. Mine was like the never-ending squirting. Oh, I thought the never-ending whoring. The never-ending whoring, yeah. No. Uh, Professor wins. Hands wins. down, the never-ending orgy. You know, when he comes imagine? up with them. He Gold, wins. right? Cinematic. Five fucks. <laughs> he gets. <laughs> you already watched The Descent. I watched it, but I, I'm not going to make I didn't want to make her watch it. I didn't even offer it. Why? She has a phobia of holes, and I thought that would not work out well for her. A phobia 
of holes. Yeah, that a- sounds like a fucking <laughs> porn movie. All right. May all of your uh, days and nights be filled with happiness. All right. Fuck off. Good night. <laughs>